Seated. Good morning, I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant, and if you're visiting this morning, I'd also like to extend a welcome to you. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And as you come to us today, you find us, we're in the middle of a series in the book of James. So if you'd like to be turning that way in your Bible, if you're using one of the pew Bibles that you'll find in front of chair Bibles, whatever those things are, you'll find those on that on page 1012. We're going to be in chapter 3 of James this morning, looking at verses 1 through 12. James, as we've been discovering these last number of weeks, uh, is is one of those writers of the New Testament and was evidently one of those pastors that is that's right up in your face, you know, right up in your grill. You know that um, all cultures have their own standards for how far apart you can stand from each other before it becomes uncomfortably close. And, you know, researchers, I can't remember what they said about America. It's like Western culture. It's like two feet. Well, James apparently was about three inches because he's sort of always there breathing right over our shoulder. And, well, we're going to find these doing that again for us this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in here, James chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though you are high and lifted up, that you are a God who does not keep a comfortable distance from us. The kind of comfort we want sometimes, the comfort of anonymity, And the comfort of remaining hidden, but instead you come close that we might be known, that you might shine your light into our lives for our good and our healing. And we ask that you would do that for us this morning. Through the reading and preaching of your word in James, would you come close, as close as we need. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by such strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. It's given for our good and for His glory. And so to it we turn this morning. 
don't have to read very far to see James is talking about the importance of speech. And this is a, a theme that runs throughout Scripture, but these verses are some of the most concentrated teaching on it that we get in the whole Bible. And James comes after us with it, uh, with both barrels, as it were. Um, if you look at verse 1, you can maybe sense some of the, the dilemma that I'm in myself. Listen to this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, the greater, with greater strictness. Now he opens up this passage on speech talking to teachers and preachers in the church. And he goes on from here, he transitions into the fact that speech is an issue for all of us. But it reminds us it, up front at the very beginning here that when we open our mouths and begin to speak in any way, and certainly when I or someone else stands up here and begins to preach to you, then we are doing something incredibly serious. We are communicating to each other about the truths of who God is, and it matters. James says we've got to be careful the way we speak. And so that, if anything else, would inspire me and maybe generations of preachers for very short sermons, right? Maybe the shorter you preach, the less likely you are to run afoul of that. But we're going to see a few things here this morning that James has for us that are incredibly important. Because he says that we are people desperately in need of speech therapy. We, we need something to happen to our tongues, to our speech, because it's an area of life where we so run aground. So we're going to see this morning what James has to tell us about the power of the tongue and the disease of the tongue and what he tells us about the healing that we need for our tongues. Okay, the power and the disease and the healing of our tongue. First, the power of the tongue. You look at verses 3 through 5 as he opens up. James uh, uses, in, in this uh, chapter and in these verses, some of his uh, most colorful metaphors and, and illustrations. I mean, he uses some pretty graphic images to help us understand what he's talking about. And he begins with these three examples that speak to us about this very simple fact. Small things can steer big things. Okay? Very small things can move very big things and have an incredibly huge effect. He says that, verse 3, he says, think about the bits that we put in the mouths of horses. If you've ever been horseback riding, maybe you remember that first time you get up on a horse and you realize this horse is 19 times bigger than I am. And if he gets out of control, I am in trouble. And how do we steer a horse, just a well-trained horse, with, with this bridle that pulls on the bit, smallest emotions, and it steers this incredibly powerful animal, a horse. James points us to that. He says, think about ships that can be enormous and they go uh, on the ocean with incredibly powerful waves and winds battering them. And yet something as enormous and powerful as a ship can be steered by the will of a pilot with just a small rudder compared to the size of the ship. Something very small that can steer this entire ship. Or he says, think about a forest fire, which can be so incredibly devastating. can wipe out acres and acres and acres of land. And all it takes is some person with one little match using it carelessly to cause incredible destruction. He says, even small things can have enormous effects. And he goes on to say that our tongues, small parts of the body, but what devastating effects they can have for us in those around us, that the tongue steers the person. You know, so much of our lives are directed and steered by the things that we say. Our tongues are powerful. Here's the way uh, Proverbs 
says it. I'm just going to, Proverbs takes up the topic of speech often, and much of James feels like the tone of Proverbs and the wisdom literature that it represents. But let, let me just give you this one verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 18, chapter, or chapter 18, verse 21, says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. It says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death can bring healing or can bring destruction. Something that small can have such an enormous effect. Go back to James's illustrations. You know, he says a bit can steer a horse and it can steer that horse to win a race or to charge into a battlefield. A ship be steered, it can defend a coastline, it can take you on a cruise or you can use it to raid the seven seas, right? Tongue can speak healing and peace or a tongue can provoke a war. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Think about your own words and the power they have. And there are certain junctures in our lives where we are reminded that the words we're about to speak next are going to have incredible power for good or for ill. I think about the time, um, it would be 12 years ago this summer, when I was standing uh, in a very hot little side chapel of a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with my brother, who's my best man, and the minister who was there to perform our wedding, and uh, I can hear the guests filing into the uh, sanctuary next to us, music's playing, and I'm thinking about everything about my life is about to change. So then you get up, if you're married, you know this, you've seen this in weddings, you get up, somebody asks, you know, pronounces these vows, and you say two words that change the course of your life. You say, I do, and nothing is the same after that. The words are powerful. James goes on to say uh, that, that our words, our tongues, are in some ways actually a, an indicator of our whole lives. Now, James is using t- our, our lips, our tongue, as a metaphor. You know, he's, he's speaking about all our words, both those that are spoken vocally outside and those we speak to ourselves. Um, there's a lot of ways he could have phrased, and we're going to see Jesus phrasing it a little bit differently in a minute. There are a lot of ways he could have phrased where our speech comes from, but he talks about this metaphor of the tongue. And he says it's an indicator of our whole lives. Look at verse 2. It says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. He says we all stumble, and if you could control your tongue, then you'd be perfect. You could control everything. And is that really true of us? You think about our ways our tongue actually speaks to the world about us, about what is true of us. Our tongues have this capacity sooner or later to out us, to reveal us to ourselves and to those around us. Think about you have a kid who's got a fever, a sore throat. What do you do? You take him into the doctor and they, they you know, take out this four-foot-long Q-tip and they stick it into the back of their throat on their tongue and swab it to do a test and it comes up positive. And when you find out, they have strep throat. You see, they took a test from the tongue and they come back and say, you have an infection that's affecting your entire body. You are sick. And James says, our tongues are an indicator of what's going on throughout us. And as we're going to see, we are sick as well. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12. He said, out of, whereas James speaks of the tongue, Jesus gets to what fuels our tongue. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. He says, your heart My heart expresses itself in the things that we say, the things that come off our tongues. And Jesus goes on to say those things that we say that come from our heart have ultimate 
significance for us. He says this, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is echoing what James says, which is this, that the tongue has incredible power. Incredible power for good and incredible power for ill. James goes on to say, not only is the tongue powerful, and speaking of that, he speaks of the disease of the tongue. Because James goes on to point out that our tongues and our speech, that it's twisted, that it's broken. And he has a um, point to speak very pointedly to his congregation and to us. You know, we don't just struggle with words in general. We struggle with them in specific. In the ways they are expressed in the very real relationships of our lives and the things that come out of our mouths, have come out of our mouths even this week, our tongues don't work right. We have a speech impediment, a tongue disease, but it's, not, it's one that doesn't keep us from talking, but it's one that brings forth the wrong kind of speaking. It's a tongue disease that involves not speaking with a lisp, but speaking with an edge, speaking with a sting behind it. Look at the metaphors again he goes on to use. Verse 6, he talks about our speech and our tongue being like a destroying fire. He goes on and says that it sets the whole course of our lives on fire. The things that we say set the whole course of our lives on fire. In other words, the things that we say bring destruction. That brings destructions on, on others, but it sets the whole course of our own lives on fire. It brings destruction on ourselves this disease of the tongue is an autoimmune disease. You know what an autoimmune disease does? It's one of the worst kinds of things that can grip your body because it, it makes your body re- react against itself. It makes your body's defense systems fight your own body. And you destroy yourself from within. And that's what James is saying. He says, we have an autoimmune disease. Our speech, it comes in and brings a fire that destroys others and it destroys us. It eats us away from the inside. And it gets worse. He says that our tongues are a fire and they are set on fire by hell. They are fueled. We bring forth this fire and gasoline is dumped on it from the outside. So his first image, a destroying fire. He goes on and compares it to an, to an untamable animal. Look at verses 7 and 8. You know, he says, you look around and, and we've tamed all kinds of animals. We, we, you can tame a horse. You can break a horse. And so you can steer them with a bit. Uh, you know, we, we've tamed birds of the air. Uh, some of us, though my wife and I could never quite pull it off, have actually tamed dogs so that they do what you want them to do. And, you know, he goes through and lists these different kind of animals, which, which in some way reflects kind of the basic structure. And if you were to go back to the first couple chapters of Genesis of representative of all the kinds of animals in the world, he says, he says we have tamed in so many ways the world and, the, and we can tame the animals of the world, but nobody can tame the tongue. He said, you can tame a lion in the center of a three-ring circus so you can stick your head in its mouth, but you, you can't tame your tongue. That is an untamable animal. But hang on, it gets worse. Verse 7, he says, it's, it's a, restful, a restless evil. He said, it's full of deadly poison. It causes incredible harm, incredible danger to others and to ourselves. Uh, you, you know, the, the great playground lie that we all learn when we are kids. Out on the playground, somebody insults you, somebody insults your mother, somebody insults something, and what do you say to them? You know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It is a lie, isn't it? 
Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can utterly destroy me. Some of us have heard those words, and some of us have, and have also we have also spoken those words. You know it's true. That words have that kind of power. You've heard words like that in your own life that have assaulted you, that have devastated you. Words that you can't forget. Words that are etched on your mind and your heart. Maybe they were said to you by a mother or your father, friend. Maybe there were words that were spoken to you by your spouse. Maybe it was a word about how you look when you're growing up. And now you can't step on a scale or look in the mirror without hearing those words echoing in your mind. Or maybe there were words that said something essentially like this about your ability or your worth. You will never amount to anything. And you are still spending your life desperately trying to prove those words untrue. And you're driven. And any time you stumble you put your hand to something and fail, in the back of your mind you think, maybe they were right all along. Because words have power. And they bring disease. Maybe for you it wasn't harsh words. Maybe it was a compliment, but one with an agenda. You've been affirmed for your looks, for your intelligence, for your accomplishments, but that very, that very affirmation is a prison for you. Because what happens when my beauty fades? What happens when I don't make the grade? What happens when my business falls apart? What then? We've been people who have received those words. If we're honest, we're people who have given those words, spoken those words into the lives of others as well. James focuses on one particular way in which this plays out for us. Verses 9 through 12. He says this, um, With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he says, this... this, Disease, the tongue plays out in this kind of dichotomy of blessing and cursing that both flow from us. He says, with our tongues, we, we bless God. We, we worship Him. We give thanks to Him. We uh, read together the call to worship. We sing hymns to Him. We give thanks to Him. We speak words of confession and our call to confession here. All, all these, we speak words of worship to God. And then at the same time, almost in the same breath, what do we do? We use our words to curse others. Okay, now, none of us think we actually use our words to curse others, right? I mean, that feels like voodoo with small dolls and little pens. That's what what happens when you curse, right? Well, if, if we use our words to bless God and bless others, to give to give praise, to give worth, to give encouragement. The opposite of that is to take it away, to steal it, to rob it. And how many of our words do that? He says that we bless God, but at the same time we turn and curse those who are made in God's image. Go back again in the first few chapters of Genesis and you'll see God creating men and women in His image. He says, out of all creation, He says, men and women, we mirror Him. We show Him to the world. We are His image uniquely of all that He created. That we are different. 
Now, we know because of the fall that that image is broken and distorted, but it is still there. So we all have dignity in the eyes of God. We reflect Him. So when we say to someone who bears God's image, any other person, when we we curse, we're cursing the one that image represents, that one that image points us to. When we curse, for us very rarely, most of us, is it ever sort of that on the surface, literal malevolent wish for the destruction of someone else. We're much more subtle than that, aren't we? Maybe the curse is a word that's not spoken to someone, but about someone. I've just got to tell you this so that we can pray for this brother. Uh, You know, that, that little bit, that little tidbit of gossip, that little bit of news that doesn't need to be shared and probably shouldn't be shared, but so quickly comes off our tongues. That little sideways glance of criticism, whether spoken directly to a person or about that person in someone else's presence. Those words that we use to subtly tear down and hurt and ultimately destroy one another. He says, we are not to be people who do that. And the truth is we're numb to it through our constant exposure and our constant indulgence to speech just like this. And he goes on again graphically to say, don't you see how ridiculous this is? In fact, how contrary this is to the way everything is supposed to work. And he uses these examples. He says, look, you know, you, uh, springs of water, you go find a spring of water in the woods. And he said, it's either going to have fresh water or it's going to have brackish water. And it doesn't have both. Or he says, uh, you go up to a fig tree, what kind of fruit are you going to pull off of it? You're not going to pull an apple off of it. It's not an apple tree. That trees bear the kind of fruit, one kind of fruit. He says, you don't go to a salt pond and find fresh water. What does he say? These kinds of things are supposed to be polar opposites. We're not supposed to be able to speak words of blessing and words of cursing from the same mouth. He says, brothers, it should not be that way for us. And yet the tension that James holds before us is so often it is, isn't it? Maybe this week for you. Think about uh, those to whom or about whom you've spoken this week. Let me give you a couple thoughts. Who did you comment on this week as you read the paper and watched the news? The president? The editors of the paper? The liberal columnist that outraged you? The conservative pundit who turns your stomach? The comment in the last word that you read this week. The comment for the last word that you wrote this week. (laughs) How about the neighbors that you run into this week, walking through the neighborhood, playing on the playground, on the street? Or the person who's checking you out at the grocery store? Or the employee in the hardware store that you spent 27 minutes looking for so you could just ask them about one little, you know, gadget? It's never happened to me. Or your friend, or your spouse, or your parents. Think about the sheer number of verbal interactions you and I have had this week. Now think about the things that you've said. And you can take the whole week. Let's give ourselves a break. Let's take the last 48 hours or the last 24 hours. Think about the interactions verbally you've had. And um, ask yourself these questions that a, a friend of mine asked in a sermon on this topic. He said this. The words that we've spoken this week, have they been anything other than true in their content? Have they been anything other than kind in manner? Have they been anything other than loving in purpose? 
have they been anything other than necessary to be spoken? Have they been anything other than respectful, even in rebuke? And these words that we've spoken, do we even have a right to say them? We said words that were our right to speak. Maybe you can think of some examples this week. Um, I can for myself. Uh, you know, I don't go out of my way to like do stupid things over the course of the week so that I can feel convicted by my own sermon and have illustrations. It just comes naturally some weeks, especially... <laughs> In an area like this, for me, I'd like to break my sins of speech into two general areas. One of just sort of uh, harmful, potentially harmful things that are said, and others that are the specific category of where I stick my foot all the way into my mouth. Um, I've had two of those this week. I'm not going to tell you about those. Uh, let me tell you about my other speech. I've, I've, had, I've seen both defensive speech and careless speech. Let me tell you about defensive speech. Uh, a few days ago... Somebody commented uh, on a situation that over the last number of months and months and months, I, I and others have put a lot of time and effort into. And this person made a comment that, that basically said, I'm, I'm not sure we've, we've handled this rightly. And it wasn't even directed to me. It was about the situation. And, um, you know, immediately the alarms go off. And Homeland Security threat level is up to orange. <laughs> and it's thinking about red. And I thought about that, and the next day, there I am on the phone. I'm sorry. I got defensive. I shouldn't have. It was silly, and it was wrong, and I'm sorry. Or careless speech. Uh, I have these beyond counting. I can think of a few times this week of just joking with others the way, you know how careless speech and funny speech sometimes, uh, sometimes it goes way wrong. Sometimes it's just not helpful. That's been a lot of mine this week. Stood joking with with a friend and a, one of y'all in the coffee shop, and I was poking fun a little bit. And somebody who was standing in the conversation said, uh, "said Wow," and I said, "Well, it's you know, it's speaking the truth in love." And that person said, well, "I didn't really so much hear the love part." <laughs> I said, "Okay, our speech. How do we use it? I mean, James says it is powerful." And he tells us that we have a speech problem and a speech disease. And unlike strep or others, it's not a disease that will simply run its course. It's a disease uh, that causes the greatest damage and needs the greatest kind of remedy. You see the problem that James has set up for us. If you were to go back to the end of chapter 1, he makes a comment about speech there that preps us for this whole passage. And he says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then verse 8 in our chapter, No human being can tame the tongue. Okay, do you hear that? We are stuck. He says, if you can't control your tongue, then the very thing you profess is a lie. And then he says, no one can tame the tongue. Amen, let's go home, right? What, what are we going to do with this? Because he says, our speech is a disease and it is a terminal disease. He says, this speech impediment runs to the very core. And in our call to confession this morning. That's the very thing we heard upon the lips of Isaiah, where he comes before God. He gets this vision of God and his holiness. And he says, remember his words? I am a man of unclean lips. 
And I live among a people of unclean lips. He says, I and we are people with a speech problem. Okay. Power of the tongue, the disease of the tongue. What does James tell us about our very needed healing for the tongue? Think about how you learn to speak, how anyone learns to speak. We have small children and our youngest just in the past couple months after much prayer has begun to his vocabulary is skyrocketing and we've gone from uh which represents everything <laughs> to actual nouns and we're working on maybe a verb or two now but how do we learn how to speak you learn how to speak by hearing others speak right that's how you get your grammar that's how you learn your vocabulary we learn how to speak by hearing others and we if we're going to be people who have a tongues that are healed must learn to hear a certain kind of speech and a certain kind of word spoken to us. And again, it's a word that is hinted to us back in Isaiah, which Ben so beautifully explicated for us. He said, you know, Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And what happens? The angel goes to the altar where the sacrifices for sin are made and he takes a coal from that altar and he comes and puts it on Isaiah's lips and he says your sin is atoned for it is covered it is forgiven see Isaiah couldn't simply go out and speak well or button his lip he needed lips that were healed that were forgiven lips that were touched by an atoning sacrifice because Words matter. If you open up the Bible, first to last, you see that God is a God who speaks words to us. Open up the Bible in the very beginning. What do you read? God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be animals. And there were animals. God speaks and he creates. God speaks and his words do things. They have power. God speaks and he creates And we also see in the Bible that when God speaks, He recreates. God comes not only to bring original creation, He comes to His people and brings recreation. He he brings healing and He brings forgiveness. And that comes to us in the person of Jesus. And in in the New Testament, I had a friend again that put it this way, uh, this was almost Jesus' nickname in the Bible. He was referred to, not Christ, but the Word. He's referred to as the Word. A speech word. John 1, here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not made anything that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. He said, Jesus comes. The Word, God's final Word, spoken to us. Spoken into the darkness. Spoken into the darkness of our broken speech. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 1. He says, Long ago, at various times, in various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. James says, and he gives us a hint of this, In verse 2, he says, we're all stuck, right? And he says, if you're not stuck, look at verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, 
able to bridle his whole body. And we look at that and say, that is not me. We also come to the pages of Scripture asking this question, is there one who is? Is there a perfect speaker out there? Is there one who embodies the word? Is there one who speaks rightly? And is there one who can heal my broken speech? Scripture comes back to us and says, yes, there is the word. There is God's word to us. There is Jesus in the flesh, God himself coming, taking on himself our brokenness, our broken speech. Taking it away. Taking away the voice of of condemnation that we hear instead that we might receive a different word. Not a broken speech. Not the speech that is a blazing fire. Not the speech that's full of deadly poison. But a speech, a word, a voice of forgiveness spoken over us. How are we going to become people who can tame our tongues, who have tongues that work rightly, who are are healed of this disease of the tongue and of the heart. The Bible tells us only one way, through the forgiveness of Jesus. And he says, for us now, as forgiven children, let the same thing happen for us that happens in the families we grow up in. As we who don't know how to speak, listen and hear words That we might become speakers ourselves. It's happening to my small children. May it happen to us in the family of God. May we hear God's good word spoken over us. May the words of his lips teach our lips what it means to speak in praise to him. And what it means to speak in honoring and lifting each other up. Because this is what God wants for us, James says. That we would not be springs who are spouting forth both clear water and brackish water. He says, says, we want clear water. The clear water of good speech that speaks truly. And speaks in love. And speaks words of healing. We're reminded that we come to our Father to learn those words. So may we learn those words and learn them together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as people with a speech disease. And it's not that we stammer. We speak all too clearly. But our words wreak havoc all around us and within us. And so we pray that you really would come and bring this healing of the tongue as we hear your words of forgiveness spoken over us again and again and again. This once and for all healing that comes to us in Jesus, once and all, once for all in its action, yet we must be reminded of it all the time. Bring us back. May we be people who speak the gospel to each other and to ourselves as we are continually brought back to the foot of the cross. We thank you that you have come, that all of us might be forgiven. Every single part of us, our speech included, you came to save the whole man, the whole woman. And so we look to you for the healing of our tongues. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.